Welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. In my 25 years of sales experience, I've managed some of the most prestigious accounts in the world, negotiated multi-million dollar deals without sacrificing relationships, and built successful sales organizations where folks were knocking down the door to be a part of the rich, fun culture we created. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Each week, I'll share strategies you can take with you to invest in your people in a way that redefines the fabric of your sales organization and your company as a whole. I have an arsenal of tips and tricks up my sleeve and have a decorated sales career to leverage. Let's get started. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Today's guest is very special as Esther Parks. And Esther has been in the automotive business for 25 years. She got her start as a salesperson and worked her way up to a highly successful general manager. Her husband, Stephen, who is also in the car business, got a debilitating form of MS, which forced them to reevaluate their work. And Esther had to step back from being a GM to care for her husband. Despite the horrible diagnosis, this provided an opportunity for Esther to create your auto buyer, which became a stressless car. Esther works with dealerships all over New England and helps customers at no cost to them to use her service. She has over 5,000 customers today, and she is, the also, she is also the co-founder of the sales tune-up, which we are definitely going to dig into. Esther, welcome. So happy you're here. Hi, Lynn. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I would love it if you could just share a little bit of your background, kind of where you came from, how you got your start in sales. So I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and um, I got my start in sales from a a man that I am still, I consider him like my second father. He, um, um, and we still keep in touch 35 years later, not just keep in touch, but every day keep in touch. Um, He helped me get my start in sales. He um, really mentored me when he knew that I wasn't going to college and he wanted me to learn business. And I was able to take what he taught me and cultivate it and go through all these years of being in sales, um, learning through what the base was that he gave me. And I know what you sold, but tell everybody what you were busy selling. Men's clothing. Um, Highline men's clothing on literally, you know, I'm sure the one place that everybody resonates with Detroit is eight mile. And that's where I uh, sold men's clothing in a, in a mall, in a store that was based on eight mile. (laughs) So how did you find your way from Detroit to Boston? And how did you find your way into the car business? So the real long uh, story short is that I didn't want to live in a cold climate anymore. So I moved to Florida. Moved here. Oh. I, exactly. So I moved to Florida and worked for another men's clothing store. And then um, I, through a road trip, I came to Boston and I met my first husband here and um, moved back into the cold climate. <laughs> that I never thought I wanted, but I ended up really loving New England. So that's kind of how I got to here. And uh, how I got in the car business was um, I really needed a more stable position. And um, I went to a car dealership that I knew the owner and I asked if they would hire me. And 
he really hesitated at first. He didn't have any girls on his sales floor and he didn't want to. I really forced the situation. He hired me. Within a year, I became his top salesperson. I love that. So you said that there weren't very many women then. Do you feel like women are well represented now in the car business? Um, at some dealerships, but in most dealerships, no, I don't feel that they're well represented. Um, I feel that, you know, there isn't um, management that's able to cultivate them. And I don't think it's any fault of the managers at the dealership. I just think that, um, you know, they wear so many hats in a dealership, the managers, that it's really hard to bring somebody new in and cultivate them, especially a person who might have different needs. For instance, children that have to be picked up at a certain time or the responsibility of a family. So most of the time for the last many years, it was 12 hour days at dealerships. We've kind of gotten away from that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, and I know from just working with you, I know that you took it upon yourself to handpick some women and help them find their way through the, the auto business, whether it's finding jobs at different dealerships or supporting them on their path. Um, I think you know, in my observations, I haven't seen a ton of women out there. And I do think it's, it's uh, incumbent on the leaders to make space for them. And you and I always say, you, you can't, you like to buy who you're, who you look like. You yeah. like to buy from who you, who looks like you. What do I normally say? I can't even think of the words, but you like to buy from people that look like you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you've got to be a GM, you're running a dealership, Stephen gets diagnosed with MS, which is just the worst form of MS, right? Terribly debilitating. And you had to make some changes. So talk me through what that was like. Well, Steve got the diagnosis, primary progressive MS. And just like I think most people who get that kind of diagnosis, we were in denial, yeah. right? We were in complete denial. And um, so we went on for about a year just thinking that life was going to be normal. And then it came real evident that it wasn't his, um, his inability to balance and walk properly really started to show. And at one point he just looked at me and said, listen, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to work. So you need to come out of business, the business advocate for me. And um, when I can't work anymore, then we'll have to make a decision. And a hard, hard decision for especially somebody like you who loved what they were doing. And so to sacrifice that for him is just an incredible amount of devotion. And I really admire that. Thanks. It was not easy. It was really depressing. And remember, I wasn't, I love my husband. I love my kids, but I had a work family. I was very close to, yeah. and it was heartbreaking to leave them mm -hmm. and, um, and find the new me, which I didn't know if I was going to find. Mm. And so I want to talk about that because this is how you created your auto buyer. So explain how that happened. You're in this depressed state your neighbors are calling the cops because you're out with a chainsaw looking for things to do. So <laughs> what, how, did this, how did this happen? <laughs> I got a call one day and it was from 
um, this woman, and I always bought her and her husband all their cars, and they met me when I was a salesperson, and they bought whatever I was selling. They kind of followed me around, and as I became a sales manager and a GM, they followed me around and bought the kind of cars that I sold. So her husband passed away, and um, she called me. She was really, really upset. She said, you know, Esther, you always bought us our cars. You always helped us with our cars you know, her husband, Bob always handled this. And she said, can you take, help me, you know, and she was very upset. This was overwhelming for her. She lost her husband. This isn't something she did. And so I took her and we bought a car and I had the best, best (laughs) day. Um, Just being able to help her and know that I took away that anxiety And, um, you know, and maybe it resonated with me a little bit because of what I was going through with Steve Mm -hmm. and knowing that, you know, that there was a lot of people who were helping us relieve our anxiety, Mm -hmm. that I was able to relieve somebody else's made me really feel good. I went home and I was telling Steve about this best day I had. And I said, I think I'm going to turn this into a business. And he looked at me and he goes, Esther, me and you are in the car business. This is never, ever going to work. And I said, okay, well, you know what? I said, I'm home so depressed every day. And I feel like I'm isolated. So I'm going to tell you what. I said, I'm not going to take away from advocating for you. And I'm going to do business cards. And I said, I'm just going to tell people what I do. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just going to see if it works. And I wanted to take that one customer, turn it into two and two and turn it into four and four and turn it into eight. And I was thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to help two or three customers a week, you know, just kind of do this and not really, you know, kind of like a side thing, right? It just, it grew, it exploded. And the great thing was that I had a job that I was going to be able, if I needed to be with Steve and his doctors, I was going to be able to do that. And I wasn't going to have to change 10 people's schedules. Mm. So talk talk us through how your auto buyer works, because I think it's a foreign concept for a lot of people and it's how we met, but I want folks to understand how you did it and and how it works for a customer. So basically, a person calls or emails or texts and says, hey, I'm looking for a car. And we um, find out where they are in the car buying process. And we walk them through everything they need to know from A to Z. Help, uh, you know, I bring up things that they wouldn't think of when buying a car. We, me and you did that. Um, Certain things, you know, a, a lot of things that people don't think about is, after the sale, which we make people aware of. Right. Um, so yeah, you, to- you told me there were certain cars that were better to buy and certain cars that were better to lease. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't have known that. And certain cars require more repairs and they're more costly to do it. So you gave me great guidance that way. But I think the thing that I love the most was you gave me peace of mind. And I felt like I had a guide and I had somebody that was going to walk me through a process that I didn't understand. And I knew that there were going to be things that were going to trip me up. And you helped me with the trade-in. You helped me with, is it a good value for the trade-in? And all of those pieces 
it's why I referred like 20 people to you, (laughs) but but, um, it's no cost to someone like me, right? There's no cost. And what I wanted to create was a win-win-win situation, right? Because in this world, if if somebody's losing, they don't want to work with you, right? You know, if you're winning and somebody else is losing. So I wanted to create this win-win-win situation. A win for the client because they were really going to have a very handheld experience going through the dealership. And we were going to maybe be dealing with multiple dealerships, which really gives people anxiety having to go in and out of different dealerships. So to be able to do that seamlessly um, relieves a great deal of anxiety. The Mm. second part is the win for the dealership. They're going to get a client they would have never had, right? In most cases. And so um, that's a win for them, but it's also a win because they get a better quality customer. Right. And what I mean by that is that that customer is going in not just, okay, going through the door and getting a good salesperson or a bad salesperson. They're getting navigated through the whole system, making it much more seamless for them, making it easier for the dealership too. So, and then the win, of course, for me was I had a job. Right, Right, of course. (laughs) Well, and I think the dealerships love working with you because you are steady volume. So you are constantly bringing them clients. It's very low low, heavy, low lifting for them. They're able to just, you know, oh, Esther's here. She's bringing us a client and you are pretty specific with who you work with because you need things to be buttoned up for your clients, right? Very much so. But let's also point out that I don't care what the name in the building is. I care about the people who are in the building and in where you say, you know, dealerships are happy to see me coming. Yes, some, but some of the people who don't do the right thing aren't so happy to see me coming. (laughs) But you advocate for your customers, which I think is the, the piece that everyone really enjoys and why people love working with you because they feel almost protected. And I think the, the unknown factor for a lot of people, and this is true for home buying or you know, really any big purchase of your life, it can be intimidating. There can be lots of things that you can you know, fall into stumbling blocks and pitfalls and spend money unnecessarily. And that was the thing that I really appreciated you explaining that um, in a way that I could understand. It to some people, it's very intimidating and very nerve wracking. And just, you know, sometimes people aren't narrowing it down on what is the best car for them. They're right. narrowing it down by who was the most aggressive salesperson, yeah. right? Like, yeah, you're we, not we get a lot of that feedback. You know, I'm not going back there because they were rude to me or they would only talk to my husband or, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. We, We've really seen a lot of that feedback and, you know, and we don't want a person to buy a vehicle that they're going to drive for one, two, five, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. That's based on something that didn't fit their needs. We really want to look and see what fed their needs. Now, I also understand it from the sales person's view, which makes me a little bit more unique. I understand that they have families to feed. I understand that they don't want to waste four hours on a Saturday with one customer who's not going to buy a car. I understand that. So the reason a lot of dealerships like working with me is because I'm going to look and go, okay, we're here to test drive a car, 20 minutes in and out. Let them drive the car, have it pulled up, 
have everything prepared. Now I let people know that sometimes it's four hours because of your own minutia, right? You did weren't prepared for that customer. You didn't have the car pulled up. You, you know, you got up. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so what we try to do is streamline a process and we handpick the people who are best to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think, um, you and I spend a lot of time focused or looking at the, the dealers that avoid making costly mistakes. And I think that's one thing that um, you've gotten very good with because you set expectations. So you set expectations for the buyer. You set expectations for the dealer. Are you ready with the car? Do you have the plates? Do you, you know, is everything buttoned up? Do we have the floor mats? Whatever the questions are, you ensure that that process runs smoothly. And as we've seen, it doesn't always run smoothly if there's nobody following a process. So we, we run into that a bit. We, we run into that a lot um, where you have to, I have to tell you that I can't tell you how many salespeople have you know, communicated with me and go, you know, you sit there and run through the whole process with me. So it's kind of bulletproof. Nobody ever did that with me. I know. So I've been in a dealership for two years and I'm sorry, Esther, I didn't know these things. So everybody, but do you know how that translates to a customer? Yeah. It translates to a customer. The salesperson doesn't know what they're doing, that that's a big dealership that or they're both getting blindsided and then it's an even worse experience you're right yeah so so let's pivot a little bit because I want to talk about what we're doing together and and how this how this kind of transpired so you had an epiphany and I walk us through that because it's pretty cool so you know I go in and out of dealerships all day every day So every time I go into a dealership, I see something that could have been done differently, something that could have been done better. And um, I really wanted to merge that culture and try to help people. And well, then I saw your videos and um, I had tried this a little bit before and I just couldn't find that right fit and started seeing your videos and you were almost doing exactly what I wanted to do, which is um, find a car culture that made people comfortable with walking through dealerships and knowing that they were going to be treated properly and that there was going to be a procedure and a culture in place. Yeah. So you called me, Esther said, Linz, I know that you're doing this thing. I have an idea. And she approached me. I said, oh my gosh, this is a no brainer because we for sure can make an impact. And really the impact we wanted to have was on the buying side of the house, the dealer side of the house. So the employees feel a sense of pride and they feel a a psychologically safe culture. But ultimately we really wanted to move the needle and infuse some of that positive culture that I know so well, that you know so well is needed and the sales tune-up was born. So we created this and our goal in creating this is really to infuse that, that bulletproof process that culture, that all the leadership skills that I talk about so often to, to really ha- allow everyone to experience what that can be. And when it's good, 
magic happens. We know this. And when you create good culture, people collaborate, they rise up, they create new best practices, they learn new things, they share. There's much less belittling. There's much less of the throwing the coffee cup across the room and, you know, yelling at each other. And, you know, really that won't really be tolerated anymore by anyone. And if the great resignation taught us anything, people demand more. And we know that there's room for improvement in the car space. So anything you want to add to that? Absolutely. One of the things that you said is that, um, you know, like nowadays working 12 hours in a COVID world, you know, getting into a car and going to work 12 hour days, first of all, people don't want to do it. And if they especially don't want to do it to get treated badly. Right. Right. You know, And so that's a big deal, you know, to um, how you're talking to people. And I understand it. I was behind that desk. I was the person there for many years. So I understand how easy it is for the managers to get overwhelmed. Just imagine that five salespeople are coming at you and now you got three problems that automatically immediately need to be fixed. And now you got a person holding on the phone who's stranded with a car in the middle of someplace. Like imagine being that person. Mm-hmm. And um, I know what that's like. I mean, yeah. you did want to run into the, into the street screaming. Right. But it was a man, it was a matter of teaching your team right? Um, How to treat people. You had to trust a little bit of what you were teaching. And that's where some managers did okay. And some didn't. They just felt, okay, you're going to go off and do your job. And when you don't do it right, I'm going to yell at you and make, just ruin your whole day, which in turn, where does that translate? translate customers being treated badly. And I'd love you to talk about some of your observations of really your own leadership and the leadership that you've observed in the car business and what's maybe not worked so well and some things that have worked so well or worked well. So remember, I started working in the car dealership where that coffee cup was thrown and, you know, and um, the, the culture was put the fear in them, right? Put yeah. fear in them. And, you know, on Saturday, if you don't sell t- two cars, you're not going to have your job come Monday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the way everybody managed. And uh, including me many years mm-hmm. ago, you know, it was, that's the way you learned. And then more so, um, you know, as I became a manager, you really taught people, or at least I really taught people how to work within a team. Oh, yeah you know what, so-and-so has a customer right now. And while they're filling out paperwork, can you do me a favor? Can you go gas their car? And tell you what, if a person comes in looking for a car, I'll greet them. Mm -hmm. And I'll say hello, and I'll get them started for you. So it really went from, you know, throwing that coffee cup and, you know, threatening everybody to, you know what, let's all work together as a team. And when I started your auto buyer, now stressless car, I knew that we were working together as a team. Okay, listen, this is what my clients is looking for. They're looking for this car. No, I'm sorry. They're not looking for that car. And I'm going to have to insist that we're not going to discuss that car. But I really like this that you brought forth 
and mm -hmm. let's try to talk about that. So even when we bought your car, Lindsay, remember it wasn't just we found a car on the lot. No. Work together to say, this is what she's looking for. Well, Esther, this car, I need some kind of commitment to it because it's coming from Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the commitment based on condition. And so we'll do that. Okay, that sounds fair. We were all able to come together and I was like, yeah. Lindsay, this is what you're going to have to put forth. Dealership, this is what you're going to have to put forth. And I think that that's where communication comes in. I, I love that you talked about how you modified your leadership style and you recognized the value of the team. And I think so often in sales, um, especially when you haven't had great leaders, you see these sellers kind of desperate to strut their stuff, desperate to show you it was my idea. I did this. I need that credit. So I'm seen. And when you have a management style that says, nope, I've got you and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you're helping this person. They will help you the next time you need it, or I will help you. And when you can create that support, people feel much more relaxed and able to rely on their instincts and able to build a rapport with their client. And it just creates so much richness. So I'm, I applaud you for figuring that out because a lot of leaders still believe that intimidation is the only way to lead or being a leader means I can make people do things. And that's really not good leadership at all. Well, me and you met um, a manager a few weeks ago and um, he really told you his story that involved me. He was a salesperson, right? And on, um, on certain weeks, we would buy three to four cars mm together and we tried to do them back to back to back to back, get the customers in and out. And there was this particular one that needed to be um, sent to Connecticut. And he was really overwhelmed with some of the other work I gave him. So I said, hey, listen, why don't we do this? I'll take the car to Connecticut and I'll drop it off and I'll come back on the train. Just pick me up from the train station. He goes, deal. Right. And um, him realizing how much people were working with each other, me and him and the customer, it made him work with his salespeople when he became a manager yeah. and become but tell the rest of what happened. He picked you up and he picked me up and um, he had washed my car, gassed it, brought me lunch. He was so appreciative of um, the fact that I, um, you know, I helped him get the end result done. So he really showed a great deal of appreciation. And one of the things he told you, um, and I think that this was the thing that really resonated to you is one thing I learned from Esther is she won't work with just anyone. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think that's a really important piece because when we talk to GMs, they're often surprised when they hear that. And it's, it's almost like saying, I only like two of your five children. Um, but it's, 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 it's one of those things that you're endorsing the good behavior in hopes that others catch on. Because if I'm a salesperson and I see Esther walking in, I'm excited because Esther's already done and will do the bulk of the work for me. I just have to keep things buttoned up on my side. So I, I think it's so interesting um, how we're kind of 
opening that up to dealers and they're seeing that for the first time that you reward the, the sellers that really have their acts together. And what did that sales manager say that day to us? He said, what if we could have a team that she wanted to work with every one of our I know. salesmen? Like he yeah. said, could you imagine what a team we would have? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do with the sales tune-up is mm-hmm. we're not trying to, you know, say that people aren't running their dealerships right or that they're doing things wrong. I just think we're trying to address an overwhelming situation for a lot of people and try to streamline it and make it better. Well, I do think though, we are trying to fix a few things. And we know like, for example, especially being women, you know, very often, very often, if you are with a man, whether it's your husband, your brother, your father, your best friend, your, you know, child even, we often see they will only talk to the man. That's right. That is something that has to stop. We also see profiling where someone walks in the door. They're like, I don't want to talk to that person. They got, look, they look at their ripped clothes. They got dirt under their fingernails. I mean, we know these stories and we know that those people happen to be loaded and happen to be like fully capable of buying cars. Um, So, I mean, there's so many examples that you and I can share about. And the example is, is people don't have to be loaded to buy cars. Everybody needs a car. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's um, it's you're dealing with deep, different people through a different walk of life exactly. and you shouldn't prejudge anybody, which was big in yeah. um, in car dealerships. And yeah. that's how, you know, um, contactless car purchases mm-hmm. became so popular. Sure. Um, COVID really. Um, oh, yeah blew this up. Gave them a platform for sure. And do you think dealerships um, have a strategy around addressing contactless buying yet? I mean, I, I, it feels like it's not fully developed. No, I don't think they have a strategy. I think that their strategy is, well, I think that one of the things that they're not realizing is that customers are walking in and using their dealerships as test drive. Yeah facilities yeah. is one in and um and how do you combat that mm-hmm. um you know and secondly is that people aren't realizing how much people today don't want confrontation that's it their their life has changed drastically in the last couple of years yeah. and they don't want to be confronted mm-hmm. they want to be helped they want to be nurtured they yep. want to be guided or they don't want to be talked to at all. Right. <laughs> like, right. It's either take care of me or leave me alone. Right. And yeah. so, you know, you also have to remember that some of these managers have been in the dealerships for a long time. So it's like, stick with your customer, stick with mm-hmm. your customer, stick with your customer, almost to the point where they've ran out the door to get away from you. Yeah. So you really just have to have, I wouldn't say a soft touch, but I would say a an approachable, you know, I'm approachable. I'm okay. You want to just look and walk around and look at cars. Okay. But I'm going to make myself approachable. So when you have questions, yeah. I'm so here when you're ready. Kind right. of moment. Yeah. It's, 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 I think people feel often feel at least what we hear from a lot of the feedback we get, they feel accosted. They feel like, 
someone's waiting for me to, you know, make a decision and I want to take my time. I want to, you know, figure things out and I want to ask questions, but not be pressured into a sale. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I want to ask you, I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about what has Steven taught you about resilience? Uh, Steven has taught me a lot about resilience. Um, I am not, the person sitting here today is not the person who started this MS journey with Steven many years ago. First of all, um, when it first came down, I knew I was here for the long haul. I just didn't know if I could do it. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of things with taking care of somebody who eventually isn't going to walk and is eventually not going to have the use of his, even his arms that um, takes a certain kind of patience. Um, it's him. He talked me through a lot still to this day, like just how I was going to approach something yesterday. And he said, wait a minute, Esther. Now I think you need to rethink that. Mm -hmm. And he always makes me um, stop in my tracks a little, if you mm -hmm. say so. My resilience really grew over the years to look mm -hmm. and say, you know what? This phone call needs to end right now. Steve needs something. Yeah. And this needs to happen right now. Learning how to pivot. Yeah. We just came back from Vermont and that was a big big deal for us to yeah. finally, because Steve had really had some illnesses over the last five years, and we were able to stay in a hotel. Well, one is we went to go visit Michael, which is um, Steven's son, my stepson. And, um, you know, beforehand, I said, listen, I'm going to need your help. He was amazing. Even to navigate through the hotel, which even when people hear we have a handicapped room, how do you know it's a handicapped room for this handicapped person's name? Right. You don't. So we had a couple little glitches yeah. because the room wasn't built for Stephen's handicapped needs. It was built for a generic person's handicapped needs. And everybody's handicapped needs are different. different. Yeah. And um, so it's really taught me to, um, you know, understand myself better, understand my partner better understand my family better, mm. understand my friends better. Um, the, he's brought to me a perspective. If you asked any of my friends or family 10 years ago, would I be where I am today? Not only with stress less car, but with my relationship with Steve, mm -hmm. everybody would have told you I would have ran for the hills. I was a very different person. I was very work motivated. I loved the kill of the business. I still love growing my business. I just do it differently now. I, I love how you said that, Esther. And I, I think you really, you definitely um, exhibit more patience than most people that I know and more devotion um, of, of most people that I know. And I admire that so much, but I love that you talk about the evolution of you as a leader, as a business owner, as a mom, as a wife. And it's such an important message as we talk to leaders so often, you know, just because they are one way does not mean they can't evolve. And so many of the leaders that I meet, certainly at Heartbeat, Heartbeat for Hire World, um, 
they've never seen a good leader. They've never had a good example of what that's supposed to be and how your people are supposed to feel and behave. So, you know, coming from the position that you're in and have been in, you bring that wisdom that I think is so valuable to leaders. And it's just such a tribute to you, the the compassion and um, the way that that you see the world. And um, I think people are gonna be lucky to work with you. The, the message I really want to get by is remember, you know, when my husband first got sick, I left my job mm-hmm. here for him. Do you know how many people are overwhelmed with maybe having somebody that needs that care, yeah. an autistic child, yeah. um, you know, whatever it may be, and they can't work because they don't have the support system. They don't have it, the support system at work. That that manager is just like, okay, you need to be at work. And, you know, your family is going, well, you need to be here. And so if I can help one person, um, you know, understand that it can be done. Yeah. And that you can have both. I am a true attestment of that. Yeah, no, you, you, you really are. And, and I think you, you are doing something so intentional with the way you're designing your life and you know, when to hit the gas and when to hit the brakes. And, um, boy, I didn't mean to do the automotive reference, but I did, (laughs) (laughs) but you really do know when to push and pull. And, you know, there are times where, you know, you and I'll be like, we're going to focus on this and something will come up and we'll be like, we got to take a pause. We'll revisit in an hour. And I know that about you. I know that's what you need. And it, it's just super easy to work with you. So um, I'm so excited for the rest of the world to discover, you know, the sales tune up and, and hear what we bring to the table. But, you know, for, for those that don't know, our goal is to coach leaders and we built a curriculum that really teaches the salespeople and the GMs um, and the managers how to build this much more compassionate, much richer culture that is irresistible, that people don't want to leave. But most of all, retain your clients, attract new clients, and make your people advance through the ranks because you already are doing some things right if you've got those people in-house. So keep the good, brush off the bad, and and build on it. So that's really what we're about. And um, it's been a thrill to have you today. So thank you for being such a great guest. Thanks, Linz. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Stay tuned for more to come. Have a great day. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H, or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.